cultivating fulfilling relationships can be a challenge. Are you in search of meaningful connections? With specialized coaching and transformative courses, I empower you by helping you navigate personal relationships, parenting, and communication to strengthen bonds. Book your session now at psychgirlcoaching.com to unlock relationship potential and create a future of love. Psychgirlcoaching.com Welcome, Justin. How are you today? I'm doing well, Alyssa. I'm, I'm having a nice, lazy Sunday afternoon, and you and I are in conversation. So yeah, it's a good day. I'm having fun. Excellent. Um, it is really good to have you. Um, I would love to hear about you and how you started on your podcast. Okay. Well, it's um, like the rest of my life. It's kind of an interesting, um, the, the background is um, not conventional, I guess. And so I, yeah, let me, I was trying to think of what actually spurred me on to do the podcast. And it was, and and so now I'm recalling that um, I had a friend, a casual acquaintance um, that I had done some workshops with or a workshop with, and this person had ALS and they um, were dealing with that and they had written a book and I wanted to promote that book. And I thought, well, you know, I was flirting around with an idea of doing interviews and things like that. And I thought this person would be a perfect uh, uh, person to launch with on that podcast. And so we did the interview. Um, she was a therapist. And um, so it was an interesting book in the sense that this condition that she had been dealing with was lensed through the eyes of someone who should be at the aid and support of others. And um, so they had an, an interesting lens through which to share this story of um, what is a terrible uh, thing to go through. And uh, so the interview was great. It's actually on my channel. And if anybody's curious in the audience, they can go and it's a very, uh, you know, it's at the very bottom of my interview string uh, on my videos. So um, she sent, has since passed. Her husband was a therapist and I'm actually thinking about reaching out to him because this was a couple of years ago and bringing him on as a guest. So that's, that's probably the most concrete reason I started an interview series. And then I had a list of people that I was thinking, oh, this would be so wonderful. Like, and there were mostly books I've read and I thought, oh my gosh, if I could get these authors. So I just very audaciously reached out to people and said, hey, you know, would you, would you come on with me? I know I'm not, you know, any big name or anything, but if you, I'm not even a name, right? So I said, if you come on and have a conversation. So it just sort of grew out of that. Um, and, and I'm kind of like bullheaded in that sense. Like I'm not intimidated by, you know, reaching out and asking people to, uh, to talk with me. And some people did, other, other people didn't re respond, which is fine. So that, that was that. So to give a further backstory though, um, I had gotten interested in, um, I'd always been interested in spirituality uh, uh, since I was a young child. Um, and around high school years, I started getting into sort of the, the quote unquote metaphysical work, um, things about spirituality that are not necessarily uh, confined to religion. So meditation and things like that. And I um, fell into the work. Uh, let's see, in my high school book bag, I had a book by Baba Ra Baba Ram Das, I think it was Be Here Now. And then I had Journeys Out of the Body by Robert H. Monroe a little later, right as I was graduating from high school. And then when I turned 20, I got into Sri Aurobindo a little bit, even though he was extremely difficult. I didn't understand his work at all. <laughs> and there was no internet in the 80s. So yeah, it's just kind of... right. So so yeah, that 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 um 
interest was uh, picked at that point, and and I was just on this little casual journey. Uh, and then life got in the way, and I worked. I was a workaholic for a lot of years and did stuff. And then I had a um, a health condition uh, arise in my early 40s, and it got it kind of, you know, rang my bell a little bit and got me interested in, um, you know, beyond just being. Uh, a workaholic, uh, you know, right. sort of asking more existential questions and reconnecting uh, with that early spiritual stuff I'd been doing as a kid. And uh, so I started um, getting into meditation again, uh, taking it seriously, finding people who were good at instructing those things. Also, um, the the illness that I had in my early 40s was um, neurological. And so my brain was a little rattled. And so getting into philosophy and um, some of the um, more like again, Sri Aurobindo, more difficult or abstruse types of of uh, spirituality. I that I did that to jog my brain back into health to get it, uh, you know, firing and wiring again and challenging it That's because awesome. I was yeah I was struggling. I had really bad short term memory. I was having speech fluency issues and inability to you know walk correctly and things like that. So this all was just a, a motivation to. Um, to just get my brain back online and get going. So, so that's, that's the further background story to what got me into um, wanting to that's interview wonderful. people. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a good combination because anybody I've interviewed um, the, the, the people that I bring on are people doing work for human flourishing, for uh, understanding human nature and the meaning of everything or, or, you know, like meaning making and, and sense making and all these things. So um that I consider a community service, not out of hubris, like I'm doing anything. It's just giving these people another uh, voice and another um, interview and another opportunity to uh, to be out there in the commons, out in the public space. So that's that's that. that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is wonderful. So you, I love how you started your journey, your spiritual journey earlier on, and then you know, further down the road, um, it was like, you got another wake up call saying, Hey, (laughs) it's time to return home essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Just pay attention. And, and, you know, I was, I was in a kind of dark space because I, again, being a workaholic, um, I realized in, in, in hindsight that that was me, uh, staying busy and kind of running away from, um, I wouldn't call it trauma, but it was dysfunctional, uh, family 101 and and just right. crappy childhood and just um, because I was very dark and uh, angry uh, under the surface because uh, one of my parents was I can't diagnose them but I would say that they were a covert narcissist or a dark vulnerable triad it was a real hot mess and so I I absorbed a lot of that and I had that darkness in me and that probably is how the 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 illness that I had uh you know that was one of the tripwires for that thing was just being so toxic inside and you know I was never uh, you know mean to anybody else it was all internalized so um, right good thing I went through it because you know it, it really um was a good dark night if you have to try to put a value on it you know I had a good one and you know I didn't die and I'm I'm not uh you know permanently right I'm not permanently messed up from it so I I you know I'm grateful actually for that because it showed up as a teacher it showed up as a master and uh it got my absolute attention because again I somebody could be talking to me and I couldn't even register the words I was that bad and I had you know tremoring and parkinsonism in my my um, arms and legs, not bad, oh but just a little bit. Yeah, it was a little bit of that. It was a very neurotoxic. I think it was a, a, a black mold or something in my house. We had we had discovered a lot of mold, and I think that's what just kind of shot my um, my uh, 
right. nervous system or whatever happens when mold gets toxic in your body. So, uh, because neurologists, uh, they couldn't, I'd gone to a neurologist and a few other doctors and they're like, oh, you know, they didn't know what was going on. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have been there. I have, I've had, yeah. I've had uh, issues and the doctors are like, eh, I don't know what it is. <laughs> right. But meanwhile, in, in inside, you're like, oh, crap, this sucks, you know? So, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like I said, it was, it, I am so grateful to it. it and, and I'm grateful to that dysfunctional parent of mine. I, you know, I've reached that point where I'm so grateful to have gone through that adversity because it's, there were good things that came from it, like me being tenacious and wanting, you know, to reach out to people cold yes. call and just not having, you know, any fear or anything like that. I, that, that was something that came out of that crucible, you know, so there's, <laughs> there's upsides to just, you know, a lot of things. Now there's, there's exceptions, of course, but, you know, I, I count my blessings in that sense that, um, you know, I can recognize in hindsight, the value of anything good or bad, probably more the, the bad stuff than the good, like, you you know, you almost take the good stuff for granted. And then, you know, when bad right. things happen, and you can come through full circle and process and say, Oh, my gosh, you know, that abusive person in my life, or that crappy parent, or you know, whatever it was, um, that, you know, it taught me so much, and it really helped um, make me who the, I am. The key is, is to once you come full circle, at you and process the processing is so important I think that a lot of people get stuck on the um you know they get stuck for that step and that's what causes so many issues Mm -hmm. because if they could actually just process all of the pain and trauma and everything then they could probably you know come to that point where they're like oh my gosh this really did you know work out for me and Mm -hmm. now I can help other people and you know because it it is a healing journey and it is you know, and the toxicity can be so overwhelming. You know, it takes a while to heal. It but really processing does. is very important. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it really does. And and to the audience, I will say that what I'm, you know, I'm being all cheerful and light about it, but there's still that shadow. And but I've learned to dance with the shadow. So to get young in first, you know, Carl Jung for a minute, um, that you know, I don't ever expect to make that shadow go away or you know i've i've certainly hoped that i've mitigated the um effect that the shadow has on my behavior and and my emotions and so forth but um i uh am still in possession of that that darkness and things like that and so but you know again i i recognize it i know where it is and um that i can have that relationship with it that um you know, it, it can't drive me or steer me as it had. And, um, I don't give it that power anymore, but I recognize it. Cause there's times you know, I've even heard Gabor Mate in an interview one time. He's a, he's a therapist and a guru kind of guy. And he's like, he was real deadpan. He goes, sometimes I get homicidal, you know, and it's like, you just hear Gabor Mate you know, say something. I mean, he's, he's, he's up there with like Deepak Chakra and some of these other guys, you know, and just, he did. He's just, sometimes I want to kill, you know, and I'm like, that's good because I'm not quite homicidal, you know, but I, I just get these, you know, you get these little thoughts and you're like, where that, where did that right. come from? So yeah. yeah, I'd say that to the audience that um, healing and recovery, you can just, you know, it, it's there. It's like a scar when you got, if you, if you got cut really bad or burned or something and the scar is going to stay that you see it and it's just there, it's neutral. Um, and it shouldn't fester 
uh, in the future. It should just be there as a perhaps an anchor point or a, a reminder of where you might have been at one point in your life. So again, I offer that to the audience that sometimes you hear people talk about recovery and it's like, everything's great, everything's perfect. And it's like, well, you know, most of the time everything's really good, but that that this um, relationship that you have with your past, I think um, you can that make That is a room. very good point, yeah. Yeah, make room for that and, and know that it's yes. not, you can't, get upset with yourself. If you do feel that kind of, you know, rage come up or your sadness come up or whatever, it's, it's there, right. you know, it's there. Yeah. And, and for me, every time I go through something, you know, because after I've gone through a traumatic experience and I've, you know, in quotes healed, mm -hmm. <laughs> then, you know, if I get triggered, then at first it was like, ah, oh, I thought I healed from this. What is wrong with me? You know? And it, I guess the, you know, healed, recovered, whatever. It's okay. You know, yeah. it just means that I need to you know, it's take a step back. Normally I just need to take a step back. I'm imbalanced in some way. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's like a, a trigger saying, Hey, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. more no, self-love. <laughs> I think that kind of honesty or that kind of um, flexibility of self, of your, of your identity is good. You know, that you can, that, you know, we're both talking about this, that we can do that. And I think um, if that's encouraging to anyone who's listening, um, that, yeah, yeah, give yourself that latitude and that space to, to yeah. be, you know what, I, ca I call it like phases, like things arise in you. And so um, sometimes when I'm being cynical, and I want to have bring out my Irish sense of humor, I say, you know, you're never important but you can do important things or you're never special, but you can do special things and be in that moment with specialness and, and, and savor it. And um, just like they say to actors, you know, you're only as good as your last gig or your last movie. And so I, I put that in for myself in context of, you know, I'm not an important person, but occasionally I do something important. Like I help people out or, or I'm not special, but I will do a special thing for someone. And then that fleeting moment is gone. And then I'm back to being, at, you know, some kind of baseline of neutrality of not being anything <laughs> other than just a, a fleshy person that's, you know, capable of doing something else in the next instance. So um, that's how I would apply um, those moments where shadowy things can come up is that it's just arising in you. It's just a phase that's coming up. And so if you have a day where you're, you know, if you had gone up, gone through your life with depression and a depressed, depressive day comes along, that's okay. You know, or a, a day where you're absolutely enraged, um, you know, about what happened with a relationship in the past or something, you know, you don't want to milk it and you don't want to, um, um, uh, excite it too much, but I would say, yeah, just, it's a phase, just like doing altruistic work, right. being a kind person or being uh, whatever, you know, whatever positive thing that you're doing that, that you just acknowledge it and recognize it and don't uh, upsell it too much. Just like, you know, good, bad, it's all the same in, in, in how you right. manage it, I guess. Yeah. Maybe that's the way to yes. cap that. <laughs> <laughs> Self-compassion is really important when it comes to things yeah. like that, you know, because I think that a lot of time, like even with me, when I have those times, it's like, um, I, I can really get down hard on myself, you know, and then I've got to take a step back. And when I do, I actually start uh, being more critical to my family, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, wow. And normally that's about the time they're like, Hey, that's not you. Mm. <laughs> and then it's like, it's not me. So I need to take a step back. I need to give myself, you know, um, the compassion and forgiveness and, um, allow me to have bad days and make mistakes too. Yeah. Yeah. You know? amen. Mm -hmm. No, I, I completely agree with you. Um, 
I think that it, again, you said it's self-compassion, it's self-care and, um, you know, we're not all perfect with that either. Again, you know, here's another iteration of, of letting go. It's just to say, you're not even yeah. going to manage that well either. I don't, there's days, I mean, I do self-deprecation. I mean, I'm the, I'm good at it. You know, like if I do something <laughs> stupid, I'm like, oh, pe people would be probably nervous if they heard me, my internal dialogue. <laughs> Cause I'm like, you with <laughs> You idiot! Oh, you do that? Oh my god! You, you did that three days ago. You know, so so, but but I I do it with a grain of you know I, it's tongue in cheek. Like I, you know, it's like don't don't take it too seriously. Right. But I would never do that to another. You know, and sometimes right. in, when people are coaching or whatever, it's like, well, you know, would you do that to someone else? Do you treat yourself this way? And so it's kind of no, of course not. But you know, I'm this is my outlet. So if I get a little like self-deprecating and I you, you curse at myself or whatever it's you know I then I catch it and I recognize it but it's like eh, you know we're just human <laughs> exactly and it's put, a constant journey forward yeah, yeah. and don't <laughs> put too much pressure on yourself to always be exactly. you know a student you know five stars and all that good stuff <laughs> you can have three star days it's okay <laughs> <laughs> you can have one star days it's okay <laughs> one star days are fine you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not negative territory. Like they take a star away from. It. We're we're taking one of yesterday's stars. <laughs> that might, that might be a bit much, but anyway. Oh, I have had days like that. <laughs> oh, okay, negative negative day stars. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> oh geez, yeah. But again, you know, it, you know, it's it, then you think about averages. So like, if you go through an entire year and you have all these three and four and five star days and you have a couple of negative two star days okay just average it out through through whatever your metric is like a month or a year and you're fine you're fine because because i think you know in hindsight you can look back and say oh yeah i had a negative two star day the other day but then i i i worked through it and i i recognized things and i um I saw the value in it. It's like I was saying earlier, like I, I you know, my disease yeah. showed up as my master, my parent who uh, was, you know, bless their heart was not doing very well um, in certain regards. And, and that, that yeah. taught me a lot. So yeah, it's just uh reflection is also part of that process. I think. I agree. completely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's see here. Um. Okay, so could you tell me a little bit more about um, how you moved out of your um, the the painful experiences you had with your parent, and um, you know got to the place where you are now, where it's a kind of like a place of acceptance. You know, it happened. It was um, in all, it was a good lesson for you. Can you tell me how you got there? Sure, sure. I'm happy to share it because I know. Mine is not a unique situation, and if anyone listening out there um, can resonate with this, and um, uh, you know, I think I came out of it <clears throat> on the bright side. And so, this parent uh, has—I've not had contact with them for 20 years. Uh, I just had to walk away, and unfortunately, that's how it works in some relationships. And you know, so I'll start so with positive. I'll start with positives. That this parent uh, was a single parent. They worked very hard to make sure that I had a home and a, an education um, that they were able to afford to put me uh, through my, you know, childhood to teen years. Um, and I went back and forth uh, between the parents, but, you know, that this person really struggled and did the best they could uh, in that regard. But again, unfortunately, when somebody is dealing with whatever that pathology was, and I, it's not for me to diagnose, but my, what I do as a stand-in, as I say, it was probably some kind of uh, 
narcissistic behavior based on deep trauma because I knew their parents and they were horrible people. They, they, I can judge because they were just, Oh my God, they were awful people, but I'm sure they had their, um, their bright side, but I never really saw it. And neither did my parent that was dealing with that. So, so anyway, so there's a, there's a lineage there. There's a line there. So anyway, this person, uh, for all that they dealt with as a child and, and what they went through, um, escaped some of it and and was somewhat self-aware but also was very much hamstrung by that by that abuse and and uh basically torment as you know as they were brought up and i got a fraction of that um in childhood it was not great and then through the adult relationship from my late teens into uh i was about 33 when uh, we when i parted ways with them um that there was a pattern there that um, I was unaware of most of my life. I was just being a good son to that parent. And um, the society has, you know, um, uh, normatives and, and um, standards and things for how we, we look at our parents. It's, right. even in, it's even in the Ten Commandments. You know, there's just these things you do for your parents because they did so much for you and you owe them um, some sort right. of reverence or uh, filial piety is another way to say it. So. Uh, I kept that in mind through my adult years until I was in my thirties and I'm married and my partner, um, my wife was being subject to that same abusive behavior, but I didn't really recognize it until it got really obnoxious. And, um, my wife was being, uh, adversely affected by it. And and it took me a couple years to pick up on it because again, I was just being a dutiful son and thought I was doing what the, you know, what culture dictates where, you know, where we are right. in, in the West. And so, uh, but finally there was an incident and these incidents were cyclical. They were, you know, running on two week intervals where there would be an incident. And then there would be this kind of almost like Catholic process of contrition and absolution and, you know, penitence and, you know, acknowledgement of the sin committed, you know, all this kind of crap that, that um, drama, psychodrama people put other people through. And, and again, this right. was the narcissism. This was the person who, uh, you know, could do no wrong, but you certainly are capable and you do it on a regular basis. And we're going to have psychodramas around that so anyway so yeah that that just kept going and going and going and then finally there was an incident that was just ludicrous and i i said to my wife i said that's it you know we're never going to deal with this again and and so if you want to call it disowning or you know whatever that is i just walked away and and uh stopped communicating with them and um so there began uh the um sort of uh consilience and healing process is asymmetrical there was nothing uh, there in a way to heal the relationship with that person, but right. you can still do the healing asymmetrically um, because, you know, there are instances, I suppose, where you could go to counseling and try to work it out. But I think typically people who know narcissistic behavior that, that unless a narcissist, uh, you know, odds are against it and there are outliers that do it, but the odds of them becoming self-aware and understanding their patterns that, that they exactly. pro project. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's highly unlikely. So there's really not much to that. Uh, and, and at least in my case that, that I felt that there was some redeeming uh, value in, in trying right. To, right. And trying to build bridges and in repair and all that. So, but asymmetrically for myself or for whomever, you know, goes through this, that you can begin a journey of, of recovery. And so I think the first thing you do is exercise compassion and, and lends that person, whether it was a, a, a spouse, partner, or uh, a parent uh, or sibling 
or even a friend, uh, that you see them in compassion and you see them as the wounded person that they are. You see them um, having not um, helped themselves or gotten themselves out of where they are. And that affords you, if you can uh, do that, it affords you the empathy and the compassion to not judge them and not hold them in contempt of what they've done. And you can forgive the behavior a lot more easily. I think, you know, it's, it's still, uh, intellectually, you can, um, maybe say, well, you you know, in other words, it's, I think it's healthy and safe to say that was not good behavior and this is unacceptable. And I was being subject to to abuse. Right. So you don't let go of that, but you can let go of, um, the negative toxicity and pain. Yes. (laughs) Right. The negative affect, all the things that that cause you harm. And I think in doing that, and they often say this about forgiveness is it's it's for you. It's not for them. It's, it's your liberation because you stay in a, a a circuit when you're not forgiving someone, you stay in this circuit of uh, drama or you're a circuit of, um, um, you know, repeating the anger, repeating the injury, uh, whatever, you know, whatever the grievance is. And, and that can show up in other areas of your life. Um, and, you know, we we're talking about shadowy things earlier. It's like, you, you know, you'll project that shadow back out and you'll, you'll repeat it to other people perhaps. And they, they certainly right. um, don't deserve that. So, um, and as I mentioned earlier, I tended to internalize uh, the abuse. And I, so I didn't project it outward. Occasionally I would. I, I, one thing I learned from this parent is conflict. Like I was I was a conflict junkie. I would constantly get into arguments with people and I would have to not necessarily win the argument, but defend the argument to the death. And I would just drive people right. insane and they would walk away. I'm surprised <laughs> I didn't get beat up, you know, but I would just, I would be really aggressive. And I, you know, because I had to fend for my life as a child, you know, I, was, I had to constantly right. justify and, and, uh, and, and deal with this kind of, um, patterns of behavior that they had. Uh, so anyway, um, so yeah, getting back to compassion and empathy, I, I think that's that's easily said, but how to do it is unique to all of us, I think, as as is unique, that is, that is the nature of your relationship with that person and your own, um, what I would call psycho-emotional state, you know, what you are comprised of emotionally and psychologically. And um, that's where therapists come in. And that's where you can, I didn't, I I would like to go to a therapist at some point and just sort things out with them, but I would highly recommend that you find somebody, you know, like yourself, Alyssa, that can talk with people and work with people. That's the first thing I would suggest to somebody recovering from an abusive um, parent, sibling, partner, whatever, is to is to have a um, an objective set of ears that are in that environment um, regularly, and they know uh, what to look for and and the right responses, you know, the right ways to say uh, things that need to be said to the healing person and the person in recovery. For myself, I just, again, I I took deep dives into um, the work of others. So I was reading books on cognitive behavioral therapy and hypnotherapy and um, other kind of transformative work in that regard, just to, just to, you know, sort of survey the the landscape and see, you know, how people do it. So it was a meta perspective. It was like, how do people recover from things? How do people change themselves when they have subconscious entrenchment right. and things like that? And so I took that sort of curious route. And um, one of the reasons I got into uh, philosophy and things like that is it's sort of just slippery slope. You know, you start reading about one person, and you, they, they mention people and then you go, oh, okay, well, I want to go look at those uh, people up. So I kind of did a, <laughs> a homegrown self, uh, fabricated, um, kind of mm, therapy, I guess, you know, and again, a lot of that was wrought of my getting really ill. Uh, that's been 12 years now. And, and so that was a confluence of events where, and, and, and that was probably about eight or nine years after I'd 
you know, departed, parted ways with that parent. Uh, so I had those seven or eight years of limbo or nine years of limbo where I didn't really do a lot except bury myself in work. You know, I owned a restaurant right. at the time and worked seven days a week and, and just stayed busy. Um, so to, to those listening, I would say, um, be, be your best, uh, um, consultant and your best investigator and and find out things about yourself if you can you know take notes journal things feel feelings as they come up and then share them with somebody who is qualified and it could even you could start with a trusted friend or partner and if if they say oh you know this is something i would think you would want to then go see you know a qualified therapist so so you know you can start in in, in stages or steps but for me again i just i got um being the curious lad that i am i just just buried myself in reading and and the you know the internet was around 10 12 years ago so i was able to go online and read stuff and so yeah and and so coming having where i am today i wouldn't say you know for me it's an it's an ongoing journey just like everything i think in life it's right. you know i i've not arrived anywhere i think i'm just at a point where I can look on the relationship I had um, with minimal judgment and things still arise. Like sometimes I still have internal conversations with that person and they're not pleasant, you know, and they're not good, but they're therapeutic in the sense that I'll catch myself and say, okay, you know, you're feeling this, this is coming up. This is internal. This is something part of you. Uh, and you know, what, what are we going to do with this? You know, can you take that anger that you were just feeling somatically and, and, and psychologically, and can you, um, not necessarily convert it, but just acknowledge it and just, you know, give it some peace and, and, and just, you know, let it go. And, um, and that I think, uh, helps me, you know, I think when it happens and it happens spontaneously, it just shows up, you know, you're I'm not consciously calling it up or summoning it or anything <laughs> like that. It just shows up. And, and so I, I go through the, you know, whatever the scenario is in my head. And then I, again, I try to, um, then, uh, examine it and gently, um, uh, reflect on it or introspect on it and say, okay, you know, you know where this is coming from. This is, you know, 30 years of dealing with something and, you know, so it's okay. And yeah, you can feel that kind of anger towards somebody, but it's not healthy. You know, just go back to compassion, go back to empathy and know that right. that they were doing the best they can. I mean, that's something I could truly say is that this person was operating the probably the best they can. They're doing the, the best they can. And that's hard to say for other people. You know, some people were I, I mean, I had it pretty easy, but you know, there's other people it's, it's a lot darker and a lot more sinister and maybe you can't get to that point. And again, that's where a therapist, you know, would be good. So, so right. There, are, right, there are boundaries for that kind of self-care, yeah. um, you know, and but, yeah, but the beautiful thing with a therapist is that you do that and then you, you, you know, you, you do your own work and you find what I would also suggest to people is, is continuously search for, um, a spectrum or, or many facets of, of, um, opportunities and, and, uh, let's say modalities of care, you know, different disciplines, and Definitely. Different, yeah. right. Different things, whether yeah. it's, you know, whether it's your faith, whether it's, you know, a spiritual thing, or whether it's more grounded in, um, you know, psychology and, and the social sciences, you know, it's all good. It all, it all, the intention is to transcend and transform. So. Yes. That is, um, actually how I started uh, in uh, modern applied psychology, looking into it and stuff. I was, I had gone through several traumatic relationships and <laughs> had some really bad things happen earlier in my life. So, you know, I was trying to find a way to, as you said, transcend <laughs> mm -hmm. and it, 
it took a while, but when I came on that, I was like, this is it, you know? So, um, uh, that mixed with spirituality has really, really helped. <laughs> yeah, I think so. One of the so, things that psychology is wrestling with now, I interviewed a professor of psychology recently and that it's always been grounded. Um, now Carl Jung, of course, was more humanistic and more holistic, but people like mm -hmm. Freud were very much about um, empiricism and um, mm -hmm. sort of an atomistic approach. You know, it's it's you know from the bottom up kind of um, right. causality and linearity and things like that. And so uh, and 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 medicine in uh, in psychiatry kind of reflects that. You know, just give somebody an SSRI or you know get the get that serotonin balanced out right and dopamine and all that, and they'll be fine. And it's like. Well, you know, it's part of it. It's, you know, it's like this, the parts of an elephant when, you know, the, the, the fable of the blind man feeling the elephant, that's right. one, that's one part of the element, but there's so, so, so psychology is coming on board with more humanistic, more, um, comprehensive perspectives on that. And, you know, science has to be careful with, with the S word spirit, you know, and things like that. And I mm -hmm. agree. I don't think science and spirituality should have anything to do with each other, even though there's a lot of synthesis projects out there and a lot of them are being done in good faith. But when you're practicing science, it is, it is a discipline. It is a method and it is not, it is there for quantities, not qualities and spirituality to me is qualities. And so we have to just be very guarded. So, um, you know, I, I would say I would attach a caveat to that, that, you know, if you want to do the marriage of science and spirituality, that I would say that um, science informs spirituality so that you might have gurus or self-help teachers out there that are saying certain things and they may not really line up with with what we understand about reality right now. And uh, and so um, that can be a little of a of a rabbit hole that you can go down um, that, you know, may or may not, you know, so. I'll back up on what I was just saying that if if it's a consensual uh, dialogue and a conversation and, and, you know, the details aren't as important as the exchange between two caring people, then that's fine. But I think, you know, and I, and I say all this because I've been doing this kind of thing for like 30 years, the, you know, the spiritual stuff. So um, science can inform spirituality and spirituality can keep science human. And so there is a relationship there, but I would, I would be cautious for myself. I'm not prescribing this to anyone else, but for myself, uh, I say, render unto science that which is science and render unto spirituality, that which is spirituality. And there is a liminal space where they can inform each other um, because I, I follow a lot of s people who are respect science, but they're also trying to um, find uh, a meaning making system and a spirituality that is grounded in naturalism and things like that. And that's good for a segment of the population, people who um, may not buy into the um, sort of supernatural transcendent aspect of spirituality. And that's on a spectrum. And there are people who do embrace that um, supernatural transcendent aspect of spirituality. And, and that's good. Uh, but, you know, it's on a spectrum. So we have to, again, I just say all this to to kind of anchor the idea that um, it's complex. Uh, it's complex. I wouldn't say complicated, but it's complex. And there may be a point in our human evolution where science starts to agree more with these kind of things that we're talking about. Um, so an instance, uh, for instance, on that, as I interviewed a, a developmental biologist named Michael Levin, and I would encourage people to check his work out. He's talking about um, swarm intelligence and cellular 
uh, communication that is um, outside of genetics. And um, and he's at Tufts University. He's not some crank. He's he's you know bona fide and certified. He's in he's in the literature. As this work is all, uh, you know, it's all been uh, subject to peer peer review and scrutiny and things like that. And but he's talking some crazy stuff. Like it's intelligence all the way up and down, and it's it's scale invariant. So it's it's we we have to use linearity in our language. But that 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 um, that cognition and intelligence is you know, sort of the, uh, the, the grand, uh, ontological underpinning of, of what we are and what we're experiencing. So there are little things like that, you know, where it's not just this deeply mechanistic, deeply empiricist kind of, you know, rationality that science has endeavored right. to, to, uh, to, to have a, um, a, a corner of the market on or whatever that f- phrase might be, <laughs> uh, you know, a stranglehold or whatever, you know, they want to be yeah. extremely rational and extremely, um, uh, empirical. So, so anyway, I'm rambling, but, you know, just to, to the point that, you know, for me, I love the idea that there is a relationship there, but it needs to be, uh, thought through carefully, you know, a one, both directions, right. like again, science has a job to do. Um, and, and spirituality has certainly has a job to do. And if they can get together for lunch once in a while and have a neat conversation, <laughs> that's where I'm at. But then I, I, so I guess the thing I, I I'll, I'll finally blurt it out. I think I get a little concerned about people who say now science confirms my spiritual thing, you know, that I believe in. And it's right. like, oh, yes. oh, you know, that's where I would caution people. And it's like, don't, it, don't get too caught up in it. But even saying that I, I kind of put a disclaimer earlier. That's like, maybe the language doesn't even matter. Like if it's consensual and people are agreeing, there's that kind of placebo thing going on. Whereas if so, so if I go to somebody and say, Hey, I have you know, to quote Frank Zapp, I have the oil of the grand wazoo and I am going to anoint <laughs> you. And you are then going to become, uh, you know, one third ascended to this sort of higher, uh, domain of, of placidity and, and eudaimonia and all these wonderful things. And, and if the person's like, okay, you know, and you put some oil in there for it or whatever. And they're like, oh my gosh, I feel it. You know, that that's a, that's <laughs> That's a, that's a consensual exchange. And I, I, I believe in that. I believe in people trusting each other to do work, but, but did the oil do anything? No, you know, I'd probably not, you know, and right. It's, right. But, <laughs> but you get that thing where it's like, uh, you know, I, you, I gave you permission to heal because I smeared some oil on your forehead and, you know, I claimed it was from the grand wazoo, <laughs> but you know, it doesn't matter. It's just olive oil and, you know, but you felt something and, and you, you, um, shift your perspective on things. And that can just be all the difference that's needed because I think, you know, we are minded creatures and we are deeply uh, relative to everything else on the planet. We're deeply intelligent. So, so, you know, there's so much wiggle room in it. And that's why I say it's very complex, you know, it's like, but to the audience, a caveat as somebody who has, has dabbled in all of, all of the kind of things for, for 30 odd years, it's just research, know, your, know what you're dealing with, know that um, no matter Definitely. what, everything is a useful fiction. Everything is a metaphor. Uh, you know, science has to use useful fictions to describe uh, the nature of reality and 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 how so reality <laughs> works, right? And but you can't. Yeah. You, it's sacred. You cannot diminish that. You cannot talk about molecules and atoms as though they didn't exist. We have to use those convenient fictions to do the science we do to get uh, technology uh, where it's gotten us. All these kind of things. So there is value in it, but nonetheless everything kind of has to be taken with a grain of salt. Same thing with spiritual talk. Like we can use all these terms and these ideas, but it's our construct. It's what we created as a, as a, um, as I like to say, we're just lowly hominid primates, you know, wandering around on this little planet, you know, and it's like, we have to have that humility in us. So anyway, I've babbled on enough about that, but you know, just, just, um, 
uh, be an informed spiritual person and uh, be uh, reverent towards um, what science tries to do. And and then when they get together for lunch, listen to the conversation. And uh, and like I said, I follow a lot of those guys. There's um, I'll drop some names right now. There's a guy named John Verveke. He's a, a COGSI professor at the University of Toronto. He's really neat. Uh, Ian McGilchrist is a neuropsychiatrist in England. Um, has a fine proper British accent. He talks uh, <laughs> about these kind of things, and he gets into the ont- ontological uh, inquiry about you know the nature of beingness itself and things like that. Mark Vernon uh, is someone that I've interviewed. Mark is a, a really neat guy, uh, asking these kind of questions and and dancing in and out of um, psychology and and spirituality and um, you know all the things the, the intersections that can be created there. Uh, Let's see. Bernardo Castro's a good guy. He he's an idealist. He believes that consciousness is the uh, ground nature uh, of reality. It's a, he calls it the core subjectivity or the um, underlying field of subjectivity is what he calls reality. So there's this you know, there's a lot of that kind of and it's all speculative. It's all philosophy. But these guys are having interesting uh, conversations with each other. Matt Siegel, I interviewed him. He's a Whiteheadian philosopher. And again, anybody listening, you can hit pause and write these names down and, and back the conversation. up. So <laughs> I'm, I'm rattling them out fairly quickly. But yeah, Matt Segal, he's at the um, California Institute of Integral Studies that um, Alan Watts founded back, I think, in the 50s. And so he studies Whitehead, uh, Alfred North Whitehead, who has an interesting metaphysical scheme that tries to unite some of these things that, that I've been babbling on about for the last 20 minutes or so, or 10 minutes. But yeah, just so many interesting people out there just trying to do that. Um, uh, Carl Friston's another guy. He's uh, He's got an interesting uh, concept on on mindedness and cognition and things. So there's a ton of guys out there. And when you when you get one of these people, they get into conversations with other people. And it's like, oh, and Michael Levin, who I mentioned earlier, he, he and uh, Mark Psalms and Chris Fields and a few other guys are all having these really interesting conversations about, you know, uh, ontology is being like the study of being like, what is being, you know, <laughs> which is kind of a crazy right. question. But yeah, what is it? You know, what is reality? So in metaphysics, the same thing. What's the nature of this reality that we occupy? So those are good conversations, people that I feel comfortable recommending. And you then you form you form your own, you know, your own opinion about that. So, but Alyssa, I've been babbling on too much about that. So <laughs> where do we want to go from here? <laughs> no, no, it was it, it thank you. I really appreciate you oh, um sure. you know sharing with our audience like that. That's really awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I I you know it's tongue-in-cheek babbling, but you know, it's like I, I don't want to I don't want to drill too much on it. You know, we can always have another conversation or we can talk about uh you know that in more detail at some other time if you want. But anyway, but if there's something else you want to um tap into or talk about for the audience that uh I'm happy um, to uh, actually uh do you have anything else you'd like to share? Well um some of the things I was thinking of talking to you about that, that the audience might find some value is, um, beyond trauma recovery. Um, and this touches back into some of the, the, the stuff I was just going on about with philosophers and, and, uh, people in psychology is, um, for myself, part of, it was either part of my recovery process or part of my just generally being a curious person is, um, questions about, uh, identity and selfhood and, um, beingness i mean if you want to go into that a little bit because i think that's a that's a um underpinning of uh an emotional recovery program or an emotional recovery process so if you you want to touch on that a little bit we can touch about uh talk about that rather definitely okay (laughs) all right okie doke so one thing i like to do as maybe a form of self-torture but it's like (laughs) 
asking asking these deeper questions. So I, was, I mentioned the on, uh, ontology earlier, which is the um, sort of the philosophical inquiry into beingness. And that can be a couple of things. Like it could be as mundane as a potato. Like, you know, what is the nature of, of the beingness of a potato? Where did the potato come from? Well, you know, it was bred by humans in the Andes mountains. And there were three different disparate types of solanaceous <laughs> plants that were bred <laughs> together that had little nodules. Um, and, and those nodules were developed into potatoes. So that's the ontology, sort of the background of, of how potatoes came into being. So something as mundane as that, you know, that the, the, the uh, first world, first indigenous people that were living in in the andes i don't know when they did that but they they took three different uniquely disparate plants and made potatoes out of that or i think it was three different types of plants but anyway something random like that is a you know a basic ontology or a ontological inquiry so for persons for us for ourselves uh, you know what i like to do is um is to launch into that kind of individual ontological inquiry and say, well, you know, what is beingness and what is selfhood and what is identity and what is personality? And I see them almost in this kind of scalable linearity. Like there's a, there's a, a pyramid chart, uh, diagram of that. And, uh, this is something I've just been meditating on lately. Uh, well, like last couple of years. And when we think about ourselves as people, I, would invite you to do a thought experiment and say, can you imagine yourself as just being as a, as a person? And to enhance that, I'll say that people who do meditation and mindfulness practices engage in this uh, kind of work, especially in the Buddhist tradition where they try to empty the mind and become mm -hmm. and aspire to yes. the no, the no self, right. To, to get into that yes. non, non dual space. I yes. would I would identify that as a pure being state. Um, not that I would ever myself expect to get to that regularly. Um, I've had those occasions where I'm in meditation and I kind of find myself being not myself necessarily. And and if I think about it, then I'm right back. But I, you 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 can slip into that a little bit. So anyway, I'd, I'd call that the kind of the core beingness. And um, we could use the analogy of a computer. Like uh, if you turn a computer on and you're not doing any input output with the computer it's just sitting there waiting for a command and it's not doing anything it's just on and the you know the the doohickeys inside the computer are doing their thing uh you know circuits are ready to go and then when you start inputting then things happen like a video comes up or you know you pull up a tab on something and and you're engaging in that and so i guess to milk that analogy a little further when you do engage the computer and things start happening that that is um, when agency comes online and self, a uh, kind of selfness comes online. So again, the beingness is you as a physical being with no thoughts. You're just completely neutral, blank. You're not thinking. You're you're in a no deep, identity. Yeah, yeah. You're a deep yeah. meditative state, or you're asleep, or you're doing. You know, you're just not engaged in interacting both internally in internal dialogue or with the world externally with um like you and I are doing right now in conversation so so when you activate yourself and you and I are in self kind of states right now where we're two people we're communicating we have names we have identities um we're exchanging ideas and thoughts we're talking back and forth so that is kind of the self mode or the um the identity mode, um, because we have to have that on board in order to do the communicating. Right. We have to remember our language. We have to remember our history. And we have to also think forward a little bit. So there's, you know, 
back and forth, right. uh, re reflective and, and, and thinking into the future. And so that's kind of a self mode or um, an identity mode. And then I think one iteration or layer above that, um, that only enhances that self or identity mode is sort of a persona mode or um, a character mode that we, um, we show up as a person. Um, and it can vary, I think, sometimes, like if um, in my own life, um, I lived in rural Virginia for a while. And there were times when I'd show up as somebody who's, you know, hanging out with the uh, simple right. <laughs> country folk who, you know, had certain sensibilities, and I would just sort of adjust to that a little bit. And I, I wouldn't try to do other things. And then if I'm with another group of people, I might just sort of slightly adjust a little bit um, to to better communicate and better present my Myself and fit in it's you know it's almost tribal right. you know you want to be yeah. you know unless you're an antagonist you want to sort of you know fit in. so <laughs> that's perfectly natural like we we are characters playing characters or we are persons playing characters and so I see these three different iterations um and so one thing I would say to persons who are doing recovery work or you know helping themselves in transformative process or getting out of an existential crisis or whatever's going on is that you be um, you go into a contemplative practice, you contemplate the ideas of these three different stages of yourself or phases, even like I was talking about earlier, like you're not important, but you do important things. Well, sometimes you could just be the being self. That's a mode or a phase that you're in. And then there is this self that is, you know, it's, it's more active. You're, you're, you are, a, you identify, you can identify as something you can point to yourself and say, that's me. And then you know, I have these characteristics and these um, traits and so forth. And then again, there is that next layer, I think, uh, which is, which is almost the same thing, which again is personality and character or persona and character. And it is um, that accent about yourself and it's what makes you unique. And it, it, it can be um, good and bad. Sometimes, you know, you, you know, there are people out there who want to be, you know, bad and you know I'm <laughs> tough and you know don't mess with me and you know and and you know it's or or they're just a clown like me I'm I love being the comedian and the clown and and making people laugh and stuff so you know and and I do that to disarm uh Steve Martin said it's the fool's way of being interesting you know <laughs> comedy is the fool's way of being interesting so that I love that it's my life right there so um I say all this because I think when we are doing our recovery work or we're helping ourselves that if we can oscillate between those stages of ourselves or just, and again, it's not even, it's, it's none of this is literal. It's all just a thought experiment. And that, that, mm -hmm. but nonetheless, I think it could be a discipline for people to know that um, you can recognize yourself as a persona or a character and say, oh, you know, I'm being this person or I'm being this person or I'm being this aspect of myself. I'm being this aspect of myself. And then maybe they could be more in a, a resting state where they're they are themselves but it's more of an authentic expression of themselves and and then you know work on that and hone that and try to understand it try to be contemplative about it and say what are my true characteristics what is my true identity what is you know who am i as a person and that might be an interesting way to get to know yourself better and then also aspire to that kind of being state uh, where, and of course, meditation and mindfulness is very popular. And so people are doing that. They're going into those quiet times and spaces and aspiring to just be a being, you know, a, a, a sort of yes. you know, non-experiential, non-phenomenological person. Yeah. Yes. I, uh, when I started doing a meditation like that, a Buddhist meditation like that, it really did help me because, um, the trauma that I had gone through, like split me and I didn't know who I was, you know, I lost my identity as a person, right. you know? And yeah. so, um, going to a state of non-being was 
so healing and helpful because then I was able to essentially, as I came back down from that, I was able to recreate who I was and be able to recognize the new me, you mm-hmm. know, it was very helpful. I, that, that's yes. awesome. <laughs> oh no, that's, that's awesome. And and I think that's, I think that's, um, you know, really good medicine because for me, I, I would, I would echo what you said. And it also, it, it's had a calming effect. Um, I almost say, I almost want to say that, um, meditation and mindfulness is a, like a dissociation process in a good way. It's not yes. like trauma dissociation where you just become in a, you go into a kind of vegetative state and you can't really communicate function with the world anymore. It's more that you can, right. temp- you can control it. You can temporarily uh, dissociate from those other aspects of yourself. Um, but what I've found in my practice, in my uh, meditation is um, that when I come back and I'm me again, that over the years uh, that I am, um, less prone to be as reactionary as I used to be. And so that dissociation comes back with me a little bit where, and again, I say this in a very positive way that, um, that I've learned to be more of a being person rather than a acting person or an impulsive person. And so that the impulse can be managed better. And I think this is, again, another uh, ends that you can achieve as someone who can delineate those layers of yourself or those phases or modes of yourself. Yes. And you can say, oh, guess what? I'm I'm a character right now and I'm I'm acting. I'm a persona, uh, you know, which is a which is a strong identity. It is a, it's an attachment to you know a belief about who you yes. are. Right. Our nationality or uh, any identities that we carry. And and so, again, as a thought experiment, I think if you can uh, just you know, whenever it's convenient or whenever you feel like exercising it, that there's some benefit to that. Like you said, you know, you found a way to, um, to, to, to pull yourself together again and, and find you find your wholeness in that. So I think, yeah. So mindfulness is good for that. And then again, in that middle layer where you're doing genuine, sincere inquiry, like, who am I really, you know, am I always, (laughs) am I always playing that character that I, I, that everybody knows me as? Yeah. (laughs) right and so get to know yourself you know know thyself and get get into that (laughs) second middle sandwich layer there and then and then go be your persona and be your character because then you can if you recognize it it's even more fun to be at play uh you know unless again you're trying to be Clint Eastwood and you know Johnny Badass or whatever you know it's (laughs) like okay that's fine but you know like like just a normal character with your friends and like new people you're meeting and you know there's that person and they're doing this thing um that you kind of catch yourself and you're like oh I'm acting now or I'm I'm being this person (laughs) you know and it's like oh and 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 it's kind of weird yeah you'll catch yourself I do it I do it when I'm out in the you know again different groups different types of situations I'll turn that aspect of myself on and I'll say, okay, I'm going to be this for a little while. <laughs> and I think that's good because not, a, you know, because sometimes I like to talk this kind of deep philosophy stuff and that doesn't fly in certain, you know, rooms and certain <laughs> right. groups. So you, you might be with a group of people who are more interested in whatever, you know, and this, so you can adapt. And, and, and I think that kind of flexibility um, frees you up a little bit too, and that you can be, so if you struggle with introversion or if you struggle with being, um, as young ones say, socially awkward. And I get that, um, that this, this is a good exercise, uh, because you're not condemned to being socially awkward. It is real, right. uh, but you yeah. can, for your, uh, abilities and for your station, wherever you 
are as you as a unique individual, you can cultivate things uh, in that regard to help you. And then, you know, um, playing a character might be a, a way for uh, uh, somebody who's a little bit more introverted to uh, feel more comfortable in a social environment. Yeah. It's, it's, you can't, you have nothing to lose, um, except to just try it. So it's a suggestion I'd put out because I think I'm a, um, they call them ambiverts. I'm, I, I have moments where I could get up in front of, you know, a thousand people and talk and not feel the least bit intimidated. And there's other times where I don't want to be around anybody and I just want to be quiet. And, you know, so I, 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 have the that, way I am. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm an ambivert, but I have my introverted yeah. moments where I just really don't want to do, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> want to be quiet and, you know, so anyway, so I just offer that out to the audience as well. If, if, if that's something, um, that you you're comfortable experimenting with try it and see see what you're what yeah. you can do in your repertoire of characters think about an actor <laughs> that you love and know the movies they've done and and you know uh, there's so many roles that uh, some of these people have been doing it for 30 years uh you know that they they have done so many things and that's a talent that they've cultivated in fact some actors get lost in their characters you know they get a little uh, changed by whatever they play you know there's been certain yes. films and film roles that are really um and they talk about it they're like oh this really you know when i did my method acting on this thing really i got lost for a little <laughs> while and i had to you know bring myself back so I think there's something there to that. So anyway, th- yeah, just, you know, learning that the so you could try it. It's like a tripartite um, uh, uh, dissection of yourself, but it's not really a dissection. It's just a way of um, compartmentalizing or, or bracketing yourself into those three things. And each one of them has a value, a deep value um, that can help you function. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's well, a, I love suggestion. the practice that you're uh, suggesting with the um uh, the personas, uh, because, yeah. you know, even growing up, you know, in the eighties, you, you had this persona that you had, you know, and like, you know, there was the housewife and there was the career woman. Mm. And, um, you know, when something happened and somebody had to transition into a different role, it would cause them to, you know, totally have, they'd have an identity crisis and they would have to, you know, uh, a lot of times they couldn't get moved past that. But if you're not attached to that, you know, like a specific role you're playing, then, you know, you don't have to worry so much about having crises every single time something happens and you have to, you know, experience a new transition in your life. Yeah, that's profound. I like that. Um, and, and I'll accentuate that a little bit by saying that I think if you were to have a small pocket handbook of humaning, that one of the chapters that is of good importance is exactly what you were speaking to. And that is the crisis of transition or, or an ability to be fluid, uh, to be flexible. And one yes. thing I, if, if I'll get on my soapbox for another second is, um, is to have that sense of, um, uh, putting things on to either a spectrum or you could even do that like and they do in math and I was never very good at math but they had the Cartesian graphs you know and that you can navigate those um lines or axes on a graph and that you can you can as a person be that kind of flexible agent that flexible person because as a species as an we are animals as an animal we are highly adaptive. I mean, we are one of the most adaptive creatures on the planet. There's there's cost benefit to that because being of higher sentience, higher intelligence, um, you know, and that's the work you do. We we do experience trauma, uh, and mm-hmm. and some animals will carry trauma. Usually, animals that we associate with will carry trauma because we traumatize them. But um, you know, less cognitive animals are instinctual and they don't 
have the cap the capacity to reflect uh and get depressed about the past or or fear have anxiety yes the yes future, yeah right? And so we can learn from them. Again, that goes maybe back to that three-part thing of the self where you can be more of a being self and you can be less um, immersed in the drama, but to not stray too far what I was from what I was trying to uh, bring up a second ago is that if we put ourselves on this kind of spectrum or scale or uh, a fluid uh, uh, nature of expressing ourselves, that um, that flexibility that, you know, you were just pointing out that some folks weren't in in that time period in those social mm-hmm. norms uh and uh, the cultural standards of the time that they they just were confined to these things and yeah that's off-putting when you get knocked off your your kilter um so that's another suggestion yes. <laughs> i guess in your book of humaning is to um put you know try to see everything as as fluid as being uh capable of oscillation or oscillatory um, patterns uh and that could be something again like identity like who you know were you the role of the housewife? Were you the mother? You know, the archetypal kind of role and knowing that archetypes are good and templates are good, but that you can transition or pivot uh, with practice and discipline that you can pivot. And and that gives you that uh, resilience and that a- adaptive um, Definitely. capacity. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So yeah. Amen to what you said that that's a good thing. So, so many good little kernels we're turning out here. <laughs> Hopefully it helps people. I that's all I ever ask is that maybe one person hears something that, you know, my uh conversation partner and I talk about, like you and I are talking, uh, that that people take that away. So I'll I'll aspire to that for this conversation. And I know it will because these little these things come out, they have lives of their own and they go out in the world and you never know who discovers them. So it's still very off, true. Yeah, hats off to you for doing that and having the uh having this production in place and the work that you do, you know, as well. I think it's, it's very good medicine for our times. You know, it's so funny. We all, yeah, I've been around long enough where I've gone through a couple generations and then it's like, Oh, I just, you know, we, we get very sentimental about the past and it's like, Oh, these are such challenging times, but people have been saying that for as long as there's been more than three people in a group. Yes. You know? It's <laughs> so true. 10,000 years ago, our, our uh, transient wandering migratory tribal ancestors were like, you know, whatever language they speak, you know, these are really challenging times. We got, we got ice ages and we got these things trying to eat us. And, you know, and, and, and now we just have different threats, you know, we have different uh, things going on. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so it's it's fun to wax sentimental and think, oh, those were the better days. And sometimes I do that. Sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, but it's sanitized. You know, <laughs> there's always yeah. been challenges. So but uh, yeah, and and I think you could, I, 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 now here's a thought, I've never thought of this before, like you could sanitize the future and go, oh, the future is so much better than, you know, maybe not the present moment, but like the past. I wonder if you invert that and use that as a sort of um, a cognitive uh, a tool, right? You yes. know, because look at the effect it has, because there's so many people, oh, you know, that time period was so great and things were simpler and gentler and people were kinder. And it's like, Imagine doing that like in forward think, you know, like, oh man, the 2030s are gonna are, are so great and so peaceful. You know, the 2025 <laughs> to 2030 is <laughs> it probably wouldn't work, but yeah, it's it's interesting. I, well, maybe, I don't know. It might it will. it's like the placebo, <laughs> right? You know, you just never yes. know. <laughs> now we don't have the, to people <laughs> yeah, yes exactly that's what i was just gonna say like you know the million monkey thing or whatever you have to have a, enough or was it 100 monkeys there was something like uh like oh god what was it it's something about collective intelligence like if if enough yes. primates were doing something i can't remember somebody can probably comment on that and in the, in the, if there's comments available but yeah yeah it's that effect it's that 
and that goes back to this guy Michael Levin that I was talking about, the biologist and swarm intelligence, and and so you see you see swarm creatures uh, like uh, termites and ants and you know those colonial uh, insects and birds do it too through murmuration and fish when they all sort of turn at the same time. Mm-hmm. There's a sort of co- coordinated intelligence, and and I think that has a future. I think that really is something that uh, not literally, and again, that's where I separate science from philosophy. It's like oh, you know, if we aspire to that kind of thinking where you know we realize, and the Buddhists are way ahead of this. You know, they call it inter- interdependence, and that that we're not separate, that we're all you know sort yes. of bound, bound mm-hmm. together. Right. Yeah. And and framing it that way as um, a means of uh, understanding our our challenges as a society or, or groups of societies um, that, you know, un- having that humility uh, in in born in that idea that, you know, you are part of a system, no matter who, you know, there there are outliers. Of course, there's those people that live out in the mountains, you know, who live by themselves. <laughs> but most of us are deeply dependent and, you know, go to the grocery store and see if you can manufacture some of the things that are in the store or, you know, build your own car, or, you know, or, or you know, just right. create your own electricity without going and buying solar panels or some other, you know, energy source yeah. to, to generate electricity. So, so, you know, it's a good humbling thing. It's like, well, you know, we are so dependent on each other in a sense, uh, you know, not in a negative way, but just that, you know, we all, we all affect each other. So that's another, another visual that we could employ to, um, to help ourselves and, and realize that, you know, it's like the, the ripple effect, you know, if like you and I are trying to turn out a good positive conversation and maybe that has an impact on other people that, that that's good, good stuff. <laughs> good stuff to have. Um, I did want to know more about like, uh, Oh yeah, making a distinction between feeling and thinking from an observable perspective. Do you have anything on that? That might touch back to what that that term I used, um, psycho-emotional. Um, and again, this is this would be an oscillatory thing um, where. So let's define thinking. Thinking um, absent of emotion would be sort of very analytical, very, um, to go back to Ian McGilchrist, whom I referenced earlier, he wrote a book called The Master and His Emissary, and there's a left and the right hemisphere of the brain, the left hemisphere being more analytical, more dry, more prone to empiricism, and then the right hemisphere being more prone to creative thinking, um, intuitive thinking, nurturing, that kind of thing. Um, So if we were to go to use that metaphor to the left brain, kind of um, just thinking, uh, sort of like Mr. Spock, or, you know, some of these uh, cyborg type people that are just very analytical. Uh, I would say that, um, are we looking to connect? Are, are we differentiating emotion and thinking? Re- repeat the question to me because I just lost myself. So get me back. I'm sorry. No, no, I did it to myself, but you can keep me honest here. So repeat the question and I'll be able to um, not rerail myself. <laughs> uh, making a distinction between feeling and thinking okay. from an observer observable perspective. Okay. Thank you. Um, so we've delineated thinking and emotion now. So again, if we're in Mm -hmm. that left brain, uh, mode and we are thinking, can we divorce ourselves from thinking without emotion? I don't even think that's, I mean, it's possible. So that's again, probably, uh, engineering kind of thinking and, and, uh, people doing physics or maths or other things like that. Um, and then to onboard emotion, I think would be a sort of um, filtering process or a perceptual process, because when we perceive things, we're not 
necessarily mapping one-to-one. So perception is something that's um, filtered through our biases, filtered through our emotional states or, cog- or, or psychological states, our pre- predisposition to, to a certain way of thinking. So I think, um, do we do we want to harmonize emotion and thinking? Is that where we want to head, do you think? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what may be a good strategy is... Um, I guess the fastest purist would be to, to, so, so the corpus callosum in our brains is that mediator between the left and the right hemisphere to go back to that metaphor for a second. So if our right brain is our creative, intuitive brain, that's um, more interested in a, a broader picture and a, in a less convergently focused picture. And then the right, uh, the left hemisphere rather is more interested in calculation and quantitative thinking and, and analytical thinking, um, that, that we could then draw on the metaphor of the corpus callosum, which is um, the thing that integrates uh, this kind of thinking that helps us with our interaction with reality uh, and, and the people in it, um, that it's a, it's a dance, it's a union, I guess, of the two. Um, and this is another opportunity in that going back to the being and then the self-identity and then the persona character right. that if we get into that middle space again with the the self-identity that this might be an, uh, a terrain or a territory that you could um, insert this kind of question and say when I think when I calculate when I respond to a question or when something comes up in a in in, in, in the environment uh, that requires me to process thought and and then uh, extract an idea out and then share it either with speaking or uh, by acting that that middle place that self-identity um is the gatekeeper for that kind of thinking so this is a pro this is probably a project in self-awareness and self um in metacognizing so you're you're thinking about thinking you're thinking about your thinking and um so if you can then scale or try to relate you know what is the ratio of emotion to analytical here and uh am i being required to be more analytical or emotional and what am i predisposed to uh, you know am i more of an emotional person do i more want to and that's either good or bad like i can be hysterical about something or i can be really empathetic about something uh, but this may require more of a calculus more of a um you know thinking in metrics and things like that and 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 uh, you know the that sort of uh, right brain or left brain rather, <laughs> I'm going to get confused <laughs> now, but yeah, more the analytical uh, aspect of ourselves. So that's probably a discipline that could be honed in, again, that that middle self-identity space where we can say, all right, where am I emotionally on this? Um, you know, and of course this varies from question to question, but, uh, you know, if it deals with, with relating to a human being, it's more likely going to involve emotion. You don't want to treat human beings as though they were, uh, engineering problems, <laughs> yeah. right, <laughs> like, yes. right. You know, if you just, <laughs> you know, shift this angle a little bit and, and, you know, hone this in by five centimeters, everything's going to be fine. You know, you want to, you want to, um, interact with your fellow humans or, um, persons that, you know, you can invoke that, uh, emotional aspect of yourself, that uh, right brain aspect of yourself that's more honed to intuitive thinking and emotional thinking. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, a, it comes down to being a kind of discipline. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a an analogy to that. So maybe it's like when you take up an, a, an art in, in media arts. So if you choose uh, pastels uh, and you're working with chalk uh, pastels, you have to know what those chalks are going to do for you or the chalk it will do for you and and how your colors can relate and so forth and so 
that takes discipline in order to turn out a decent product or the best that you can achieve. So, so, and it's, it's, it's not a direct analogy, but it's kind of maybe a quick one to pull out of the hat just to say, you know, when you are emoting and when you are, let's say again, um, working with another person in a conversation or whatever the situation that, yeah, you have to regulate uh, that. And, you know, I think it can become fairly intuitive and fairly instinctual, but I think it requires that first, um, inquiry process to say, well, where am I at as far as, because I mean, we've all come across people who are very analytical, very dry, have no sense of humor. They always just want to solve problems. They always want to, you know, they're that kind of uh, right. <laughs> left brain person, Mr. Spock, you know, or the cyborg. And, and, uh, you know, that can be off-putting in certain situations. Like if somebody's in a dire place or a dire situation and they're like, oh, I'll just give them some Prozac and it'll be all right, you know, or whatever, you know, <laughs> put them in a mental hospital or whatever. And, and then, then, then the emotional person might fall apart if they're too emotional because they're like, oh my God, this person's in crisis and now I'm in crisis. You know? so, so it's, it's again, <laughs> let's go back to fluidity and spectral thinking and saying, where do I best land on this spectrum to be the best I can be for that person, to show up for that person and be that um a helpful person for them. So I guess if that's a good answer, maybe is just to have analysis capabilities and you don't want to do it in the pure being state because that's, you're never going to get anywhere. No. You know, there's nothing no. happening <laughs> and you don't want to be the character of the persona because you could, I mean, maybe you know, some people might be able to do it, but I just don't think I could do it where I would be, you know, an actor playing a role. And then I'll be like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, perform performatively care right. about this situation or, or, you know, I might be too performative and then I can't think analytically. So yeah, I'd say maybe in that middle zone, and then just, you know, if, especially, I guess, people in certain disciplines like nursing or um, in um, teaching and things like that, where you do have to really jump quickly between being analytical and being emotional for people, they, they're right. probably the ones that have, um, whether they're aware of it or not, have really mastered that. And it may be innate. Mm -hmm. Like I know people go into nursing, go because they care. They're not there for the money or the easy hours, because that's a joke. You know, they're there. <laughs> <laughs> They're getting worked like, you know, rented mules, you know, to, to right. do what they do, but they do it because they love people and they want to heal and they want to, uh, it's, you know, it's called the vulnerary arts, you know, it's one of the big words, <laughs> vulnerary arts. And it's like, they care, they're compassionate and they want to do a good job. And so they're probably really good at juggling, uh, between having to do all the chemistry, uh, healthcare stuff. And then also, um, you know, helping somebody who is in a, in a bad way. So, so they would be our inspirations. They'd be our shamans <laughs> to say, you know, if you know somebody just say, well, how do you do that? How do you, you know, if, if you're really working on yourself, you know, just check in with somebody that has to pivot very quickly back and forth between those things and, uh, and then apply it to yourself. And then that's just another, uh, what do they call those in the, oh, merit badge. You know, it's another, another little badge <laughs> you can put on your sash and say, Hey, I'm practicing this and I aspire to be better at it. So <laughs> hopefully that was a good answer. I don't know. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> I was just kind of doing that on the cuff and I'm thinking, Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, how do we do that? So, but I would say, yeah, it's just a mediation. It's just going back and forth and, and recognizing your patterns and your behavior. Cause we all have different personalities and, and guess what? If you're, if you're an analytical person, there's no shame in that. Just, you know, just know that, um, there is an opportunity there to be more emotional. And if you're a highly emotional person, there's an opportunity there to be more uh, reserved. And just pull back. Yeah. yeah. There's a funny show that I haven't watched TV in years, but when we had Netflix years ago, um, there, not that long ago, five, six years ago, there was a show called Doc Martin. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh -huh. Yes. Okay. With Martin Cues <laughs> and, and uh, oh my gosh. And he's a good example of that. Like he had no ability 
to be yes. a, a motive person. He had so many opportunities. Even he married that gal in the show mm-hmm. and he just failed constantly. And it, but, but it wasn't his fault. You know, he's just, he's, he either has, you know, he's working with Asperger's or he has, you know, just, mm-hmm. he's a high uh, functioning sociopath. It, it doesn't matter because that's who he is. <laughs> Can't judge it. Right. You know? In fact, a lot yes. of lawyers and doctors are uh, high, pro-social, high-functioning, uh, high-functioning, uh, pro-social is probably the better word, uh, sociopaths. And there's nothing wrong with that. You, When somebody's cutting you open and pulling stuff out of you, you need them to not be too emotional, right? They they have to that do that. That is true. Right? Or yes. a, lawyer, yes. a lawyer has to be detached from the emotions of this if, if mm-hmm. there's litigation. So yeah, so that that's a good example maybe as as when things are necessary and when, when um, to have that, you know, keep that in perspective about yourself but you know that does make a good point um with doc martin because um when you do struggle with the two in your relationships you know it is a good there are different aspects of your life where you do need to be more either more emotional or more analytical because you need to be able to balance you know Mm -hmm. so even if you do have like a, a job that requires um deep analysis or less emotion, you know, um, it's still good to try to balance those two in your personal relationships. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. These are all just good. Uh, you know, you onboard them as best you can and, and there's, there's no, there's no timeline. There's no, um, urgency, I think, you know, unless, you know, unless you're really struggling, but I, I, I think, to to soften this to people, you know, just move at the speed you're comfortable with, and don't judge yourself if if it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, be be gentle, be kind to yourself because these are these are mm-hmm. these are serious things, and and we are, um, you know, one of the things that helps us survive helped us survive when we were uh, not so modern is um, you know course graining, just quick evaluation, quick analysis, boom, you know, and then you you do what you need to do, and um, so onboarding new ideas. Like our ego is based on patterns and it's based on um, predictions and it's what keeps us alive. And so our ego is an excellent tool of survival, but it's stubborn and it it doesn't want to pivot so quickly and transition so quickly right. because it has a pattern and it learned that pattern. And why should we disrupt the pattern? It doesn't recognize whether you're suffering or not. It just knows that it's keeping you healthy and safe and all these right. things. It's, it's like Mr. Spock or the guy on... Um, on uh, Doc Martin, you know, it just doesn't care. It just yeah. needs to do a job and that's all it's there for. So, so we could bring the ego into this and say that, you know, the ego is, is moves glacially. And so does the subconscious. And so be patient with yourself. These kind of things are are born of those areas of our being, our psyche or whatever you want to call it. And so just, just love yourself enough to just say, Hey, you know, there's gonna be a lot of, of those negative two star days and there's gonna be some three star <laughs> days and you celebrate those, get a cupcake and, or chocolate bar or whatever your, your poison is. And mine's chocolate. So I'll get a chocolate bar and you know, just, <laughs> and just celebrate. And then don't, don't beat yourself up over those, you know, not so starry days. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the whole key to it is just loving and loving yourself and being compassionate towards yourself mm-hmm. um, and drawing inspiration from others who have demonstrated love and compassion. I, I, you know, some of the people that I find interesting that inspire me are people who transcended um, suffering and became compassionate and also people who have survived uh, terrible experiences. Like, uh, you, and this is generalizing, but if you come across people who have survived cancer, they're very happy, positive people because they've been to the edge, they've been to the threshold and they, you know, know very well that the odds are that they would have 
not made it and that they're back here now and they're in the game again and and they're just so deeply grateful and stuff doesn't trip them up like the rest of us you know and or people that have gone through terrible like conflicts and and uh tragedies and things like that and and they come back some people are broken by it but you know a lot of people are that i've come across that you know recovered from really crappy situations they've they've got an outlook on life that i respect you know that i'm like oh that's neat. I like that. You know, I want to do what they're doing. I don't want to go through what they went through, but I want to be inspired by them. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's not, not, not the way I want to walk that walk, but yeah, you know, you can, you don't have to, you can learn from them. And that's again, inter interdependence that the Buddhists talk about. We're all connected. So if, if you can yeah. be inspired by them and change your trajectory by that, and then help others change their trajectory, then we get that hundred monkey effect or whatever that's called, where, where we shift yeah. ourselves as a species and we can be more, uh, pro-social or happier or whatever we're aspiring to whatever our goal is so but um yeah yeah so many opportunities out there um definitely yeah well i uh where where do you want to go do you want to do you want to cap this one and then you yeah, you uh -huh. can have me back I Okay. I would love to have you back. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause I haven't even gotten into that. There's one other pet thing I love. It's called uh suspension of judgment, FOK and uh, skepticism. And we never even touched mm -hmm. on that. And and so anytime in the future, if you want to come back, because that to me is another integral part of um, my at least way of um, reducing suffering and reducing um, angst and things like that. So we can, we can, I'll leave that as a kind of trailer teaser for maybe if we want to do another conversation down the road. Uh, whenever you're feeling it. Oh, I uh, love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause I think it's an interesting, again, a thought experiment, uh, to, to, uh, to help us on our, um, path that we walk and, uh, and, and walk it as brightly as possible <laughs> without, a, without too many landmines, <laughs> or at least if they go off, they don't bother us. <laughs> that is very, very important. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think that's, that's part of the game, part of the uh, practice mm. that we go through. So, but I've, uh, I've enjoyed our conversation. I, I, I'm very grateful to you that you gave me this space to talk. Um, so thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I have enjoyed our conversation as well. And thank you so much for talking. I've really um, enjoyed everything that you've said. So. <laughs> oh, good, good. Yeah. I, you know, we get into a flow state and, and you know, we're, we're both lined up in how, you know, we want to uh, have a, you know, as positive an impact as we can. And I think when that happens and, you know, we're, we're both sort of on the same page in that sense that, that uh, good conversations can arise from that. So, so I honor that and I, mm -hmm. and I offer my gratitude uh, to you as well as the audience and, and uh, glad they were um, able to come and listen. And, and again, I hope this conversation has uh, some good impact for people that it helps people. Definitely. Yes. So, um, right. so if our listeners are interested in continuing this conversation or would like to request another episode related to today's subject, like we were discussing, um, how can they contact you? I will give you some information uh, by by way of email. I'm in the process. I have a website that has exercises in it that kind of speak to the things I've been um, touching on here. And what I'm doing is I had a paywall on it and I'm taking the paywall down and I'm just going to ask like a lot of um, stuff on YouTube where you, you want to send something to my Venmo or my PayPal or Patreon or whatever I set up. I'm going to do that and people can use it for free. And if they find some value in it, um, that they can just leave a couple bucks, you know, a week or a month or whatever they find, whatever's, whatever the exchange that they 
consider to be uh, appropriate for themselves. Um, but I wanted to make that because I think it was like nine bucks a month prior to that. And I'm just like, eh, you know, I, I I have a job, I have a day job, so I don't have to worry about money, but um, that this is more accessible now. It's more um, available. And um, so there's like 50 hours of exercises and there are a lot of spoken word and uh, mindfulness exercises, some articles that I wrote and some um graphs and charts and all this kind of stuff that help, you know, just kind of nail down the ideas that I'm trying to present. But, um, and that's going to constantly undergo change and, and uh, be revised because I change the way I look at things a lot. So not, not, not drastically, but just little dial, I, I dial things in to just try to stay current with where I'm feeling right. that I'm doing the most good and doing the best I can. But yeah, that work is all centered on um, some of the things we touched on here. Like I was saying that teaser that I left a few minutes ago about FOK and inquiry and skepticism, skepticism, gets a bad rap because people think it's like cynicism. It's like, oh, I can just prove everything. It's like <laughs> the real root meaning of skepticism is inquiry. It is inquiry. It's questions and asking and without really expecting an answer. You know, it's more that you just want to ask the question and the answer provided at leads to another question. And it's just this ongoing process. And so I can get into that in, in the next conversation. But yes, so I will pass that along when I have taken the paywall down. But um, in the meantime, I have my YouTube channel with my Illumin or my IdeaCast interview series. And I'll make sure you get that. Um, okay. And let's see, I think that's my, I, I, I use Twitter, but I'm really kind of weaning myself off Twitter. I'm in LinkedIn, uh, so I can have a LinkedIn link if anybody does LinkedIn, uh, so, so we can have that. But when my website comes on board, I will pass that on to you and people can just take it and use it. Perfect. And yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I know I'll get a lot of people on board um, once it's free. <laughs> you know, that's just how it works. But, but like I said, I'm trusting humanity to um, give back. And if they have, you know, gotten anything of value from it, um, that they can, again, just two or three dollars whatever you know, whatever they consider to be fine and if i get a bunch of subscribers and that will then maybe i'll quit my day job and just do this full time so we'll see. <laughs> i think i think that my, would be wonderful yeah i think my dream is to like do workshops down the road and and not big ones like get maybe 20 or 30 people in a room together and just do these do these practices that i i think are uh, relevant, not, not necessarily important, but relevant to transformation, to, uh, helping people transcend, uh, you know, and change, their, change themselves and change their trajectories and all those kind of things. So, so that would be my, my, yeah, that's my big vision goal is to do that and just drive around and, and do those on the weekends or whatever. And if I start locally, that's fine. If I get to go other places, you know, I'm in Florida. So if I do Florida, that's great. If not, you know, I can branch out and go more. So I leave that up to the universe. I, I trust the process and I'm not too worried about it, but if it happens, I would be just giddy because that's, um, yeah, yeah. Because like, you know, I got in my dark night of the soul and, and my coming through that fire, I said, I want to spend the rest of my life trying to be helpful to other people. Um, I'll take care of yes. myself, but I want to be helpful to other people instead of being a liability or just neutral and not doing anything. So, so that's mm -hmm. my aspiration. So yes, I will make sure that you get links and people can find me that way. Uh, but the, the, probably the best thing is just, um, sub up to my, uh, you or subscribe to my YouTube channel. And, um, then I'll, um, have means of, um, probably in the, up, you know, the about column of YouTube, I'll have the link to the website and I'll make sure you get it too. So. Okay. Excellent. All right. What if they right. want to, um, guest with you? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Hit me up on a comment in YouTube on any of my interviews and it'll hopefully show up and I'll get that. Um, so <laughs> I, I also, um, if anybody 
wants to explore what I've presented a little further, I'm up for a Zoom call and I'll do like up to about a half an hour for free um, because that's something else I'll probably onboard in the next year or two is to do uh, coachy mentory kind of stuff. And um, it, I'm, I don't have any certifications on anything, but the, the few ideas that I share, I can talk about. And like we kind of did in this conversation, I can help people um, sort of commit to the and And it'll pair up with the website. So I'll be like, okay, we just did our session. Now go do this exercise, this exercise, and this exercise. So I'm using them as a reciprocal tool, um, but I can, yes. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I can do the mentoring sessions and I'm going to keep them very affordable, um, but it's not therapy. It's not count. It's none of that. It's just ideas that we're sharing, but I'll teach about inquiry. I'll teach about, you know, like spectral thinking and things like that. And, and uh, you know, a few other things that I've got. So um, yeah. So that that's the future that I'm aspiring to. And we'll see what, we'll see what comes of it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much for uh, being here today. Absolutely. uh, Thank you for our discussion. (laughs) I look forward to having you again soon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We'll plan for something else down the road and we could have a two-parter, but we'll let people digest what what we've talked about here and (laughs) and go from there. So, all right. So, so, okay. Uh, So thank you. And thank you to the audience too for your time. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) All right. This has been Relationship Redefined with Psych Girl. I am your host, Elizabeth, reminding you to subscribe to our channel for weekly episodes. If you would like to learn more about me, you can visit my website at psychgirlcoaching.com. Until next week, I wish you the very best. <laughs>